Father, we thank you for uh, you knocking on our door to be here today. We just testify that you are good, you are worthy, and you are holy, holy, holy. I pray that as we get into the sermon today, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil. Father, that we'd have feet that want to run with obedience. And I know that I say that every week, Father, but from the depths of my heart, I mean that. May we walk out of here different. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Revelation chapter 4 as we're going through the book of Revelation. In Revelation 4 and 5, both are a continuation of one vision that John was having, yet they are a little different. So for example, <clears throat> chapter 4 is going to focus on God, the Father, and creation. And then chapter 5 focuses on the Son and redemption. So these two chapters significantly go back to the Old, Tes Old Testament text. So we have to become really familiar with it. And I don't want to take five years on the book of Revelation and still trying to figure out. I don't want to rush through it, but also don't want this to linger for two years. I mean, we could take a long, long, long time in the book of Revelation. But there's some significant scriptures that you guys could read that would help give you context for the book of Revelation, specifically today. For example, Isaiah 6, if you guys want to read that one, or Ezekiel 1 and 2, and then also Daniel chapter 7. So I don't know if you guys need me to read that again, because I only saw a couple people taking notes. Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel 1 and 2, and Daniel chapter 7. So as we look at chapter 4, we are going to learn about the throne room of heaven. Remember, John and Jesus have been sharing Jesus' characteristics of who he really is. So he is king, he is holy, and he is the creator. So chapter 5 will focus on the Son and redemption, but we're not there yet. So chapter 4 starts out reminding us where we started several weeks ago in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So I want to remind you of what that said. Revelation 1, verse 19, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So that's what we're getting into today. What will take place later? So Revelation 4 says this, 4 verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, make, what must take place after this. So what must take place after this? So this is looking into the future. This is prophetic. But I want to give you what my junior high history teacher called a tweener. Something that's, right, just it matters, but it doesn't matter. But this is a tweener. God told John to come up here and I will show you, right? All the events on earth must be seen from the perspective of heaven or they will not be accurate. Amen? Amen? So God didn't tell John to stay there. God said, John, come up here. I want you to see something. So how often do we get sidetracked by our perspective? In health? In sickness? In politics? In plans? What we say is, God, come to my perspective. If you could only see this from my lens. And as I shared several weeks ago, there was uh, one guy who once said, in the morning, in his daily devotions, 
He would listen to NPR for five minutes to see what the world thought was going on. Now, why did he say that? Because heaven has a different perspective. And no matter how much we are convinced that we think what's not, no matter how much we think that we are convinced that we know what's going on in politics or government or health or whatever, doctors may give you one diagnosis, but God knows what's going to happen. Amen? The world may tell you where politics is leading us, but God knows where we're headed. Amen? So we must have heaven's perspective in life. And for us to have heaven's perspective, what do we need to do? We need to spend time with God. And I was thinking this morning how easy it can be to get stuck in the rut. We get stuck in the rut of just asking God to protect things in our life. God, I pray that you would protect Macy. God, I pray that you would protect the church. God, I pray that you would protect this person's health or that person's health. God, I pray that you would protect the, the communities that we represent. And sometimes it just often feels like we can get in this rut of just asking God to keep us safe, to not let bad things happen in life. And this morning while I was thinking about that, I just uh, felt God reminding me of Matthew 6, 33, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All of these things will be added to you. And what we can get in this rut in is we see what's going on from heaven from, or we see what's going on on the earth, but we don't see it from heaven's perspective. And then we start to say, well, I'm gonna lose this thing and I'm gonna lose that thing. And if God, you don't fix this, then that thing's gonna be bad. So we get really nervous and then we start clinging to life and then we become fearful about what might happen tomorrow. And what Matthew 6.33 encourages us to do is seek him first. Seek him first. And then not only seek him first, right, but seek him and his righteousness. So there's another step. Have a purity about you. Have a holiness about you. Run from certain sins, or actually not certain sins, run from all sins. Run from every sin. Repent. And then every other need that we have will be taken care of. The needs that you have today will be taken care of if you seek him first. Amen? Amen. So we must have heaven's perspective. What's important for us to see here, though, is what we read next is prophetic. These things are going to take place. And Jesus is introducing a new major topic, the things that are to come. And the thing that he's going to describe to us today is that God is on his throne. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John here is describing what he sees uh, going on in heaven. Just imagine that for a second. That God says, come up here, and you get this glimpse of what's going on in heaven. Sounds really exciting to me. He first states, though, what he saw. And the first thing that John saw, it wasn't the pearly gates that we hear about in movies. It wasn't the receptionist that sits there and gives you the receipts of everything good and bad that you did. What was it? It was the throne. And he states first who he sees sitting on the throne. So while preparing this message this week, I just had moments where I was almost in tears, in awe of what's described about the throne room of heaven. And I pray that we will have that tenderness and that posture today, that we can also be in awe of the throne room of heaven. So this is our God that we're talking about today. Like this isn't some made up story. This is, this is actually happening in this moment. While you and I are the nothing but mist sitting here in Mechanicsburg, Ohio, the creator of everything, of everything, 
the creator of you, in the vast expansion of the universe, as far as it goes, as far as the east is to the west, and even further beyond that. He's been here from the beginning, and he'll be here for the rest of time. Time is irrelevant to him. The one who brings healing, the one who brings life, the one who sets us free, the one who holds the keys to heaven and hell, the one who many of us call friend. He is sitting on a throne today. That's happening right now. Praise God. Amen. Isaiah 6.1 um, shares a similar vision. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. High and exalted, seated on a throne. God is sitting on a throne today. Amen? He's seated high and exalted. Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. God took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. And I kind of laughed at that for a second. I said, wait a second, and its wheels, like his throne was flaming with fires and its wheels were all ablaze. I'm like, God's throne has wheels? I know I can't read well, but I went back and reread to make sure that God's throne has wheels. God's throne has wheels. Pretty cool, isn't it? But we need to start getting this picture. You're like, why is that the one thing you're sitting here championing that God's throne has wheels? So his hair was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amen? Amen? That's happening right now. God is on his throne with wheels that are ablaze and fire and thousands upon thousands in front of him and 10,000 times 10,000 standing before him. Don't we sometimes forget about the perspective of heaven? How can we be so disappointed or frustrated with God? Well, because we don't always carry heaven's perspective. That's why it's important that we don't have our perspective, but we have a heavenly perspective, amen? Let's continue. The one sitting on the throne is God the Father, not Jesus. For Christ comes to the one on the throne to receive the scrolls with the seven seals in Revelation chapter five. So God is sitting on the throne, not Jesus. 
This is the one whose wrath along with the lamb is poured out upon the earth. He's sitting on the throne which emphasizes his ultimate rule and control. His rule and control. He is the peak. Even the final appearance of evil is dependent upon permission being granted from his throne. God is completely sovereign over all the activities of history. Yet those who participate in sin are fully responsible. I'm gonna say that one more time. God is completely sovereign over all the activities in history. Yet those who participate in sin are fully responsible. Acts chapter two, 22 through 23. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So God allowed it, right? And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So God has a sovereign plan within history, but our sin makes us fully responsible. So God, in his foreknowledge, knew that we were gonna need a sacrifice of a perfect being, and that was his son, but he also knew that by our sin, we would kill him. It's not something to necessarily celebrate. But the good news is this, is our king is on his throne. And I must ask, isn't it great that we have someone in heaven sitting on a throne? Amen. That's really good. Isn't it good that we have a superior God on a throne? It is. So I must, mu must, I must ask you the question, who or what is sitting on your throne? All of us, whether believers or not believers, have something on our throne. We have something that we are worshiping. So I ask, is your reputation on your throne? When your age goes, when you lose money, when you are not worshiped, when people don't like you as much as they used to, is that what's on your throne? Is your reputation on your throne? What about is love on your throne? When someone or something fails us, do we lose heart? It's even been said that um, sometimes people put, uh, put other people on their throne so much that they've been willing to take their life. We've heard of tragic stories of people taking their own life, right? We've all heard of a story. And then some of these stories you see through letters that it was because of a breakup or it was because of a divorce or it was because someone, you know, disappointed them. And I think part of that could be because what was sitting on that person's throne was another person. What was sitting on that person's throne was their money. What was sitting on that person's throne was their reputation. And when they realized that what was sitting on their throne failed them and it wasn't a God, they could no longer live anymore. So what is on your throne today? See, these thrones in our life promise freedom when they are nothing more than a crutch. The thrones that we are pursuing for happiness other than Jesus Christ is nothing but a crutch. Worship of the one true God who sits on the highest throne is the only thing that can bring freedom. Amen? Amen. And John 8, 36 says this, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Not if, not if the new house, not if the new car, not if your reputation 
not if your 401k, not if your husband or wife, not if your boyfriend or girlfriend, it is if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Every other God puts you into bondage. Lowercase God, right? It will destroy your hope or put you into bondage. So we have to consider, we have to say, God, what is on my throne today? But the question is, the one who's sitting on the throne, what does he look like? And I've shared this before. One of my best friends, his name's Roland. Not, not this one. I mean, maybe we can grow into that, but we'll work on that in small group. So my best friend Roland, I met him at college, and uh, we were on my front porch one time, and Roland's a believer, and, and we're going back and forth about things. And he looked at me, and he said, Joey, so you think that Jesus is white? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, that's the one I've been praying to for years. What do you mean he's not white? I'm like, you think he's black? He's like, yeah, I think he's black. And that's one of the most influential questions that's ever been proposed to me is what do I think that Jesus looks like? What do we think that God looks like? Because what we often see Jesus as is the passion of Christ, white Jesus with a beard, good-looking man with long hair. Amen? How many of you guys see Jesus like that? That's what we think of Jesus as. He doesn't look like that. God doesn't look like that. Get it out of your mind. He's got wheels on his throne. He up there playing serious Mario Kart. <laughs> Y'all didn't think about him having wheels on his throne. Never once before this week that I ever even, as I've read that scripture, think about him having wheels on his throne. And there's so many different perspectives of what our creator and what our God looks like that we could never imagine. For the rest of eternity, we're gonna be discovering about his splendor. How dare we get prideful? about a promotion that we received or about putting someone in place because we were the smartest person in the room. We got nothing to be prideful about. The only thing that we should be boasting in is his splendor and his goodness. So what does this one that we're worshiping, that, that we identify with as God the Father, as the one who sent his son as the only way and his son resurrected and lived a perfect life and was born a virgin birth, what does he look like? What's going on right now? Well, verse three tells us, and the one who sat there had the appearance, had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So in other versions, um, it says he had the appearance like. So what John's trying to do here is he's not saying he looked like a jas like Jasper. It's not like he looked like a ruby. What he's trying to say is, I'm trying to point you in a direction of the splendor that was coming off of him. See, John was unable to explicitly point to what he was seeing, which means that this isn't exactly what he looks like, but it's in a direction. See, yeah. So Jasper, what does this mean? It's possible that when you look in the original language that Jasper means diamond, but the light, but really what's being pointed at here is the light that was coming from the throne. Just the bright light and how beautiful the light from the throne that was coming off. And Ruby, possibly pointing to the blood of Jesus just being present with him, and how precious is the blood of Jesus, or the wrath of God against those who oppose him. But ruby possibly represents just precious, a precious color of the blood of Jesus. And then there was a rainbow, shone like an emerald. So the rainbow wasn't going this way, right? Like we typically see rainbows. It's said that the rainbow was going around him like a crown, right? So it was it was 
lifted. So, yeah, it's going around his head like a crown. So I do have some pictures. And when I pull up these pictures, these are not actually pictures that were inspired by God. <laughs> so you're not gonna find this in your Bible. But these are pictures that, uh, and we're gonna hear about these angels in the back here in a minute, but these are pictures that what the throne room people have, there's 24 elders there and um, all these crazy things going on. This might be what the throne room of heaven looks like. So let's go to the next one. Faces of lions. Let's go to the next one. And this doesn't really at all compare, right? He couldn't even point us in that. I mean, he's trying to point us in a direction, but it pales in comparison. But sometimes when I think about heaven, it's just, I don't even know what to imagine, so I think of heaven just, I just, I just see what I think God looks like, right? I just see me and him kind of in this blank space. But the fact of the matter is God's sitting on a throne, and I have one more. Let me go to that one. So the throne room of heaven looks different than maybe we've ever imagined. One commentator suggests that in this symbolism, um, there's symbolism in every element. So what's really important for us to consider is how brilliant heaven is going to be and how brilliant God is on his throne. So is this right here, this picture, how we think about God? Is this what you think of when you go to prayer? Is this what you think of when you consider what's going on in heaven? Um, not always me, because there's more. This isn't just it. Verse four, surrounding the throne were 24 elders. Yeah, sorry. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So these elders are dressed in ways we have seen before. They're wearing white garments, which elsewhere have represented the righteousness of God, credited to believers. They're also wearing crowns, which um, in the letters to the churches are reserved for those who overcome, those who conquer temptation. And, um, you know, these two pictures seem to indicate that the elders are a small set of redeemed people. But chapter 5 seems to indicate otherwise. If we look at Revelation chapter 5, 8, um, Speaking of the elders, the verse says something a little bit different. So Revelation 5, 8, it gives us a little bit of help to understand who they are. And when, um, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So some have suggested that the 24 elders are the 12 tribes plus the 12 apostles, while others have suggested they represent all believers. I'm not ready to put my stamp on what the 24 or who the 24 elders are. There, there were some commentators that were convinced, here's who they are. Others were um, convinced that this is one of the hardest things to understand based upon interpreting scripture. So what I'm concerned with right now is not who the 24 elders are. I'm more concerned with, with what the 24 elders are doing. And we're gonna figure that out here in a couple verses. So could you imagine 24 elders sitting around a throne, sitting around Jesus' throne, what this would look like. 
So, verse five. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, you guys have heard me share many times. I was terribly afraid of thunderstorms as a child. Not sure why, I just was. I hated it. So I was, this is how afraid I was. In my mind, when I saw people washing their cars, I got mad at them because I understood that water would then go up to the clouds and then clouds would create thunderstorms. And I'd be like, you mean people, you cannot wash your cars. And everyone knows it rains right after you wash your car. Because, you know, every, yeah, right. Every time you wash your car, it rains right after. <laughs> it just happens. He did. That's all right. So I was so afraid of it that that's what ended up happening. So I remember uh, parents were at work or they were busy and I would go to my laundry room and I'd be crying because I was so afraid of the thunderstorms and my back would be up against the washer or the, or the dryer making sure that God heard my prayer to make sure that this thunderstorm didn't destroy me or the house. And these thunder strikes that you would hear and the flashes of lightning We've all heard some thunder and some lightning that really scares us. Um, just to let you know, I'm no longer scared of thunder or afraid of a scared. I'm no longer afraid. I'm back in my kid mode. <laughs> I'm no longer afraid of thunderstorms like I used to be. So um, you don't need to pray for me that way. But thunder and lightning this is going to be in the throne room. The power, the power that comes from a thunderstorm is in the throne room. From God's throne comes lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. That's amazing. We just read in the Bible reading plan about those who are at Mount Sinai. And they were experiencing the presence of God through thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud. The sheer power. The sheer power that's going to be in the throne room of God. So I hope that you're getting a better picture of what the throne room of God might look like. The seven lamps have been mentioned before. These are the seven spirits of God, which um, is believed to be the Holy Spirit. So I want to continue, verse six. In front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, and the center around the throne were four living creatures, and we saw that on the pictures. And they were covered, they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. Do a Google search, and there's some people who've drawn some renderings of what they think this could look like. You think that um, Halloween is scary? <laughs> Just go search these pictures. Four living creatures with eyes covering their whole body. That's scary. I mean, Kids were made fun of for having four eyes, let alone having eyes over their whole body. We don't think of heaven that way, do we? We don't think of these, when we think of these creatures, we think of just these angels who are translucent, that, you know, pearly white spirits with wings, and they're just playing a harp, right? No, things in heaven look different. So they had eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like, was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. 
So not only does it have eyes on its front and its back, it has six wings covered with eyes. How many of y'all are searching pictures right now to see what this looks like? <laughs> Scary. I understand why if I saw something angelic that I'd be fearful. See, sometimes we try to be the people that are like, if I saw God or if I saw Jesus or if I saw an angel, surely I could not be in fear. Anyone ever been there? We've all probably made ourselves to be that hero at least once. No, fear. The throne room is much crazier than we ever thought. So any time um, we can discuss the intricacies of these creatures, we have to. One author says this, when an attempt is made to interpret these four creatures, it is well to keep in mind that in, uh, keep in, mind that in symbolic prophecy, the prophet sees representations of, um, of the actual and not the actual itself. Example, in one instance, Jesus is uh, symbolically represented as a lamb with a bleeding um, knife wound and with seven horns and with seven eyes. Yet no one would conclude from a moment that this was an attempt to represent the appearance of Jesus. So that's where it gets harder. We, you know, we have these beings with different faces and six wings with eyes all over them. Maybe they look something in that direction or maybe they just look completely different than we ever imagined. And what John is trying to say is, this is what it looked like in a direction. You know, maybe the eyes represent these beings' ability to see in front and be, uh, behind them, and nothing can ever get beyond them. Who knows what exactly it represents? And I wish that, though we will get into greater spec uh, sp speculating as we move forward in the book, there's just some things that I don't feel comfortable teaching you to walk out and saying, this is what exactly this means. So another time we can try to explore these intricacies. Yet today, as I was with the 24 elders, I'm concerned with what these creatures are doing. I'm concerned with what they're doing. You wanna know what these creatures are doing? Here's what they're doing. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So let's get a picture from, from Daniel and Isaiah. And what we begin to see is there's thousands upon thousands worshiping. And there's ten thousands upon ten thousands standing before the throne. And there's ruby and emerald and there's a sea like glass. And there's 24 elders and there's these creatures with eyes and wings, six wings and eyes everywhere and different faces. And Jesus has wheels on his throne. <laughs> and there's thunder and lightning, right? And what are these people joining in saying? What are these elders and thousands upon thousands, and these creatures doing? Day and night, never stop. They never stop worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I know we can be distracted during a sermon, but if we can just grasp even just a little bit of what's going on in heaven that should radically change the way that we pursue God. This is going on right now as we are speaking. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. 
And as I stopped saying that, guess what it, they said again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when we go to sleep, guess what's going on in heaven? The thousands upon thousands, the 10,000s times 10,000s, these creatures, guess what they're doing while you're sleeping? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. Right now, for the rest of eternity, and since the beginning of time, that has been sung. God has been worshiped. Amen? So what we have to note from that and what we have to see in our own lives is that worship matters to God. Our worship matters to God. Day and night, they're singing that. It always goes on. Now, we know that holy, holy, holy points to God being distinct, and he's far above everything else. The more that you use one word in scripture, the more that it's being emphasized. So holy, 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 he just three times, look, he is far and above distinct. He's more holy than anything out there. But what I also think that this points to is the Trinity. This is pointing to the Trinity. So what we can also see here is holy is God, holy is Jesus, and holy is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say. We're not going to get to what they say yet. So all these creatures are worshiping. All these thousands upon thousands are worshiping. And these elders lay down their crowns. See, crowns are given as a reward in Scripture. Salvation is free. Crowns are earned. I know that's hard. So, Joey, are you saying I earned my salvation? No. I'm saying we find in Scripture that we can earn crowns based upon what we do in this life. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Is that clear? Don't walk out of here saying, I think he's saying that I earned my way. No. Crowns earn you a reward. So these elders receive crowns for something that they did. And what they do is they take these crowns off their head and they lay them at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus' presence, we can do nothing but worship him. Our accolades mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. No matter how good we were, it means nothing. Our success means nothing. Our retirement means nothing. Everything that we have is to be taken off and to be laid, laid at his feet, worshiping holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But what are these elders? How are they ministering at his feet? Here's what they're saying. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So we have these elders who are ministering at the feet of God right now. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power, or honor and power. For you created all things. They're ministering at the feet of God. Worship is important to God. And we see the scene of worship in heaven right here. Our worship should be a reflection of the worship that takes place in the throne room of God. Our worship here must keep God at the center. And what I see here in chapter 4 is as the throne room is described, it's also describing how you and I need to focus on laying down our life to praise him 
every breath that we take. Amen? So I would like to invite the worship team up. I have just a couple more things I'm gonna say. But guess what we're gonna practice? We're gonna practice worshiping. We're gonna practice setting our eyes on the throne room. So our worship here must keep God at the center. The main uh, purpose of worship is to magnify his glory. As we acknowledge clearly in the word and action that he is the source of all good, that he is worthy of all praise. Worship is not about how good it made us feel. That's a blessing of worship, right? Like to be in his presence, to experience a certain thing during worship, that's great. But to say that we're worshiping God so that we get something back, I think we're deceived. These elders laid down everything of theirs to say, you are worthy and you are holy. So we don't expect anything back. And can we have that heart position today to say, God, you are holy above every situation in life. One author says it this way, our purpose on Sunday morning is to join those elders, our representatives in praising the holy God to cut away the smokescreen of the world around us and to see the true nature of reality, to suspend our belief in the world as we see it and to invite all in attendance to view the true nature of reality. May we worship him with the imagery that we've been given of what his throne room looks like today. So let's all stand up and we're gonna sing. We're gonna, we're gonna sing, we fall down. It was not in the plan. You might recognize this because this is old, but he'll pull out the lyrics in a second. We Fall Down by Chris Tomlin. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of his mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We
So we were able to participate with what's going on in heaven right now. You are holy, holy, holy. Father, I pray that this week that you would help us remember um, just a piece of what your throne room looks like. Help us remember that you're sitting on a throne. And may we participate out of overflow that you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name, amen.